0: This is the Westbrook Community Church Sermon Series. Sunday, December 31st, 2023. Guest Sermon, Followership. Eric discusses a different way to look at leadership. Help us finish well. Uh, at this time, I want to invite Eric Shords up. He, Him and his family, they worship here at Westbrook. He works at Crown College, and we are so blessed to have him back. And we look forward to hearing your message. So let's welcome Eric. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, if you were here on New Year's Day about a year ago, you heard me speak. So um, so I've been tasked with starting 2023 and now finishing 2023 for Westbrook Church. And so... Um, Hopefully it's good. I'll say the same thing I said a year ago, or just about a year ago, and if you're visiting and um, you like what you hear, you can thank Pastor Kevin and, and the leadership of the church because um, I work with them as I prepare, um, and if you don't like what you hear, you should definitely come back next week because I won't be speaking, so <laughs> you've really, it's a win-win either way. Um, but we are going to talk about the prodigal son today, and, um, and I am sorry, I don't have treats for everyone here. So Heidi is going to be the favorite, and I might not be as favorite, um, but that's okay. And so we're going to talk about um, leadership in a way. Now, this is something that um, I could say that I kind of stole. Back in college, I heard um, a youth pastor at the time. Now, I don't know what he's doing, but he was speaking on leadership. And he talked about the most important thing in leadership is followership. That was the summary of his story. And uh, it really resonated with me because I had never heard of that. I'd, quite honestly, I don't know that followership is a real word. Um, but uh, it resonated with me because he talked about how leaders... Um, the most important thing is where they're going, where they're taking their followers. And so for him, he never wanted to follow any sort of leader who wasn't following God. Because that's, I mean, you could walk through history and we could talk political leaders and all those sorts of things who they follow their own set, great leaders, could lead a lot of people, but they'll lead them astray because of what they're following and what they're pursuing. Um, and so, uh, I titled it, um, 2024, the year of followership. Okay. I crossed out leadership there and, um, trying to set the stage for you for, uh, 2024. If you don't have that new year's resolution, you still got another 12 hours or so to get it figured out. And so it might be that you want to be a better follower. And in that followership, you'll be a better leader. You can be all those sorts of things that people set out to be um, as leaders if you're a a better follower of God. And so we're going to dive into, like I said, the story of the prodigal son and uh, a very, very common story in churches and and Pastor Nate actually spoke on it a couple months ago, Um, but we're going to look a little bit deeper into um, some of maybe the subliminal messages in there, okay? Okay. And, and we we already talked about the story of the son leaving and, and going and wanting to kind of do his own thing um, and then coming back to the father and all that sort of stuff. But through the story, you're going to see um, the, this this contrast of, of being a good follower and trying to be your own leader and how it leads you to uh, failure and all those sorts of things. And so, uh, I'll just dive right in and not waste any more time. And so we're in Luke chapter 15, it's verse 11, and I like to read straight from my Bible here. It's, uh, it's I don't know, I just like it. And so um, I'm just going to read the first few verses up to 16 here, and so starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man that had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country where he had squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Interesting, um, uh, younger son, and I, this is the part of the story I used to relate to the the young son, uh, the prodigal son. In my younger life, I would say I did not live a very good Christian life, and I kind of went out and tried to do my own thing, and and that's the the common story that's told with the prodigal son. But as you as you look into it and you look for what's really happening here, what's really happening is the younger son wants to do things his way. The typical tradition would say you stay, you work for your father, you learn from your father, and then when he passes, you get your inheritance. And then you take that inheritance and you make your life for yourself then. After all the lessons that you have learned, all the things that you've learned along the way, now you're capable and and you're ready and now you make your own empire. You go and, and invest in something else. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to do it his way. He wasn't interested in following either the tradition or even just following his father. He was more interested in how he wanted to do it. And so, you know, I always laugh. My, uh, my father is now retired, but if I were... He did a very, very nice job as a, as a civil engineer and, and has a decent amount of money, I assume, but I don't really know. But if I were to go and visit him and say, Hey, I'd like all the money that's coming to me. I don't want to wait until you die. my father's now 66 years old, but I think he could probably still take me, and (laughs) probably wouldn't be a very good conversation, okay? It wouldn't go the way that it does in the story, I could tell you that. Um, And so uh, it's interesting that he takes that path, obviously, but even more interesting that the father concedes and gives it to him. Um, You know, there's... uh, there, there's just a, a dichotomy there between wanting to be a good follower and wanting to be a good leader. And so um, point number one is stepping outside the father's plan eventually is just going to lead to failure. You can see he steps out on his own, he goes, and, and it doesn't really say how young he is, Okay, but he took all this money, and I, I, I kind of compare him to maybe a number one draft pick in any major sport. They get all these millions of dollars for the first time in their lives and phew, there goes all the money. right? How, how, uh, how well do they, they keep that money or invest it or, or save it? Not very often but they're buying houses and cars and all those sorts of things and going out and, and probably partying tonight because it's New Year's Eve and all those sorts of things. That money goes away pretty quick. And so he, he's maybe like the first ever number one draft pick to go through all his money just like that. okay. And, uh, and so he finds himself down, you know, leading yourself, leading with your own desires, all those sorts of things is only going to lead to bad things. It's not going to lead to good. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, very, very popular verse, talks about God only having in store for you good things, only preparing good things for you. He knows what he has in store and it's good things for you. And that's what he wants for your life. But a lot of the time we try to take the reins and we try to take control and it leads to failure. It leads to, to bad things. And then we look and, and, and we ask God where he was in all of it. And he's probably just saying, well, you, you weren't really interested in me. You kind of wanted to do your own thing. I've been here all along. But, but you were following your own path. And just like the father here, he let you do it. He'll let you walk. And, and you're going to see here in verse 17 and 20, um, uh, and, and thereon, exactly uh, how that story plays out for all of us. So jumping into verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against you against heaven and before you, sorry, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. And I'm going to cut off verse 20 right there. Okay? Um, The start of verse 17 really summarizes my point quite well. It says, but when he came to himself, he came to his senses, is what he did. He realized sitting in this um, pigsty that I could probably have a better life than what's sitting in front of me. And it's not very difficult for us to just kind of sit there and self-reflect and and come to our senses. Simply come to your senses. And, and I, um, I've always wrestled with, um, just as I kind of talk with friends and things like that, This is kind of like a a weird thing of me. I think of all these weird like, hypothetical situations. Um, But one of my hypothetical situations is if I were not a practicing Christian, I tell this to, to some of my friends, I say, I don't know that I would ever get married. Why would I do that? Because then half of my stuff because somebody else's. But if I were to just date somebody, then I would get to keep all my stuff, and so I would just date forever. And even if I really liked the person, I'd just date them. I would never get married again. I don't understand why people do it. And so I go down this rabbit hole and and kind of think that way. Um, And just recently, I was thinking, and and I was on a walk with my kids this week, and I thought, oh, I know why. Because God created us, and we have this innate sense that that he established how we think and, and rule and order. And even as much as we fight it along the ways, it's in there. You know? And so... Even as humans, non-practicing Christians probably look at it and say, well, yeah, I want one person to spend the rest of my life with because, I don't know, it just kind of makes sense in my head. Yeah, because it was created and put there by not you, you know? And so, like, we come to our senses, right? And so, um, so point number two, come to your senses is, is really simple, okay, but it's also um, really beautiful, because it's so easy. Because God has already implanted all those core values right into our brains in how he created us. And so it, it's not hard for us to come to our senses because it's there. It's already there. You don't have to have some profound speech or you know, read something. It's there. It's in you. And so for us to just kind of come to our senses that it makes more sense to follow the Father's plan and to follow that rather than do our own thing... It's it 's really a, a quick step it 's not a big leap, and so real, simply and real easily, we see, oh yeah, it would be better to probably follow my father than kind of do what i 'm doing. Living in a pigsty doesn 't make much sense when i could I could live in the servant 's house and be fed and and have shelter and food and, and everything that I possibly need. Um, you know it 's interesting when it, when I got to this kind of point. Um, as I was studying and things like that, I think, man, there are so many people that um, want to be like their own leaders, and they want to go out and they want. I think they have good, positive intentions, and and they just seem to they just seem to fail. And so I started to look up um, some statistics on leadership and things like that. And uh, and one of the things that I found that was pretty interesting is if you were to go on Amazon and uh, look for books, and I know that. Probably most people don't use Amazon for books anymore. They use it for everything else in their house. But um, that's kind of how it started. There are 55 over 55,000 books with the title Leadership available on Amazon. Okay, That's just with leadership in the title. Think of all the other authors that are writing about leadership, but they just didn't put it in the title. Over 55,000. And the statistic that I found, this is a little bit dated now, but in 2015, the average, at the end of the year, they took the average of all the leadership books that were written, you could have released four leadership books a day in 2015. Four new books every single day on leadership. And here we are, whether it's our culture here in America or anywhere else around the world, our leadership is pretty poor. And there's all these resources on leadership, and there's all this stuff out there, and somehow we can read them and we can study them and we can go to conferences and we can listen to all these people, but we still don't seem to have great leaders. Um, and it's interesting. And I think, as I kind of came to my senses in my study, it's because we're not, none of those books are talking about what they're following. They're talking about. Well, if you have this conversation and if this thing arises, you should handle it this way and 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 nobody ever goes back to, well, what what are you following? What's what's your cornerstone? What are you because if that's if that's what you're living on, if that's what you're relying on, then your leadership will kind of kind of take care of itself. And that's what um you know, I've 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 had people ask me in my job or or things like that, when things go really well, they say, man, what are you doing different as a coach? What are you, what are you doing that you know your guys are doing this, or they're playing really hard? Or you're not, I'm not doing anything different. I, we had, uh, in 2019, in my first year as the recruiting coach, and, and that means I'm in charge of all the recruitment of the incoming freshman class, and we had our biggest class in whatever, at that time it was eight years or something like that. And in my first year, and so um, the president of the school came to me. Hey, what are you doing, man? That is incredible. You've brought in all these new kids and all these new freshmen. Um, you know, you, you must be doing something. I said, you know what I've done in the last year that's really cool? I started praying uh, for recruits. That was it. I didn't, I didn't print off any cool uh, pamphlets. I didn't, I didn't tweet anything spectacular. I didn't do anything like that. I just started to, like... Pray and say, hey God, would you kind of show kids crown and then and then they'll like it and then they'll come here? It's the easiest job I've ever done. <laughs> but when you just kind of give up the fact that it, it's not you that has to lead, you don't have to have that pressure. You can just follow and it will take care of itself. Because understanding that this book has so much for us to help you in your leadership. This should be the number one selling leadership book in, on Amazon. Because all you have to do is follow. If you follow, a situation will arise. How do I handle the situation? Go back to this. It'll tell you. Okay? And so, um, so like I said, point number two couldn't, couldn't be any better, in my opinion. Come to your sens- senses. Focus on the things that you already know the truth that you already know, and, and follow that. It continues in verse 20 here, the story, and the father comes in, um, and so I'll pick up halfway through there. Um, and it says, "...the father saw him a long way off, felt compassion, and ran, and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son.' But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us uh, eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And this, uh, this piece I, I always really enjoy. It's kind of the upswing there of the story. And so I think most people probably enjoy it. Um, but I think one of the interesting things is um, you know if you 've heard this before that in in their culture back then, it was actually undignified for a man to run, okay, and the father runs to the son, he sees him far way off, it says, and he runs to him and it was um, undignified because you were a man of power and of status. You run for no man, you walk at, at your own pace at your own temp, at your own speed, and it reminds me of um when we first got married, uh me and my wife were, were we were just in Waconia walking walking through the downtown there and a uh, car stops at a stop sign and, and we go to, to cross the street and I just walked and my wife kinda gives this half pep jog and I just walked. And she looks and turns around and she goes, Would you hurry up? They are waiting for you. <laughs> and I said, It's they have to yeah, exactly. They have to wait for me. I, I I get to choose the pace at which I walk across the street, and um, and not that I um, follow Hebrew culture and all that sort of stuff. But I could see the value to me picking my pace. I didn't want to. I don't want to run just because they decide that they're you know they need to get going in their car a little bit faster. I'm going to take my time, and so I can see something to that. Um, but so it's interesting that he kind of breaks the rules for his long-lost son, who took a bunch of money from him, ran off, probably hadn't heard from him. And what does he do? He embraces him with love and compassion and care. And he throws a robe on him and rings and and throws a party for him. I mean, what a homecoming. What an embrace. Um, And so what do I gather from that? I gather point number three is that if I submit to God's plan for my life, it's going to be good, right? He comes back to the father, and the father immediately starts dressing him in in proper clothes and and throwing a party for him and all these sorts of things. I I imagine the son just probably thought to himself, I should have been here all along. Why did I leave in the first place? Why was my life so bad before that I had to take all this money and run away and, and be my own person when my father had all the things that I, I always needed. He had everything for me. There, there was no reason for me to go out. There was nothing out there that I didn't already have. And that's where we kind of we get misconstrued. We, we go out and we, we try to make our own path, and then we understand that, oh my gosh, I should have been here all along. And I talk about this book on leadership in my hand here, and I think about some of, the, some of the phenomenal leaders in this book, and some of the people that you would probably mention would be like Moses, great leader, led the Israelites for years and years, and um, didn't have the best start, went out and killed somebody, probably wasn't following God at that time, probably took, took his own leadership style there, and then after that had to go in the fields with his father-in-law there was probably some long farming hours there right and then once he gets back into God's leadership things start to go a little bit better for Moses king david a man after god's heart as it says good leader military man all those sorts of things takes his own leadership style takes a woman that's not you know his wife bad bad decision Right, takes his own leadership style, goes bad, comes back to God, and things seem to go better for him. Peter, Peter, maybe the first pope of the Catholic Church. That's what I had a Catholic friend tell me that a, a few weeks ago, and I I grew up around, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a town in New Jersey where ninety nine percent of people were Catholic, but I didn't know that Peter was the first pope of the Catholic Church, and so somebody told me that, and I said, "This Peter, this one." said, yeah. And so, you know, you learn something new. I I don't know if Peter even knows, but um, you know, uh, first Pope of the Catholic church got to be a good leader. I would imagine Jesus called him Satan at one point in his life. So, I mean, you've got all these great leaders in this book and they show you the same exact thing that when they wander out outside of God's uh, direction outside of, of, of what he has for you, things don't go well. And, and actually in that point where Jesus uh, calls Peter Satan, you know, the word Satan translated really just means opposition. And so you know, was he actually consumed by Satan in that? I'm not going to get into all the theological and doctrine debate here. But I'm going to say that maybe Jesus was just saying, what you're doing right now, that is satanic. You are being exactly what Satan would do. You are in my way. It's when Peter told Jesus, Hey man, you're never going to die. I'll I'll take care of it. Okay? And Jesus simply says, Get behind me, Satan. You're doing exactly what Satan would do. Stop it. By stepping out, and if you know the story of Satan, it's exactly what he did. He didn't want to follow God anymore. He wanted to do his own thing. very, very similar story. But when we're in God's plan... The good things happen for us. And now as we dive into verses 25 and 32, we're going to take another little uh, little trip here and we're going to learn about the older son. And now, um, you know, I, I said earlier in my life, I would have said I was probably the first prodigal son. Now I would say there's, there's plenty of times where I see myself as the second prodigal son here. And so um, he's got an interesting interesting piece here in verses 25 through 32 and so I'll read that. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed him a fattened calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for the brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. It's interesting the uh, the older son. Many would probably have have referred to him as, "Oh, he's the good son. He's the one who who stayed and and worked for you and did all those sorts of things that you had asked him to do." Um, You know, working in the fields or running the fields and and all that sort of stuff. You know, he he's the good one. He's he's the one that that you can count on, that you can rely on. But inside of the older son is, is all this distaste for now his, his father, but certainly his younger brother. Um, and, uh, and, and I think of that, you know, all the time, sometimes. Well, not all the time. But as a Christian, I think about, you know, here I am, God. I'm, I'm doing everything you asked me to do. Why aren't things a little bit better in my life? Why don't, why don't I get the fattened calf sometimes? You know, it, it's very easy for us to, to put ourselves in the shoe uh, of the older son, to be a little bit, um, you know, bothered by, by our current standings or anything when we feel like I'm doing everything right and I'm not, it, it's not paying any dividends. Why, why am I doing it this way if I, I'm not seeing the fruits, I'm not seeing what I want and how quickly there I'm trying to become the leader? I'm trying to control the situation. I'm trying to say, I'm not getting the things that I want. Well, how the heck do I know what I should be getting? It's not for me. If I'm following, it's not for me to decide what I get. I, I have enough. I should be content. I, I have everything I need. But sometimes into my mind creeps, well, I should have more. I should be given more because of all the things that I'm doing, all the good stuff that I'm doing, and I'm not getting what I want. But I think uh what's really good here is that the you know if you want to learn leadership, what does the father do? He doesn't scold the son, he doesn't do anything like that. He explains it to him well, son, you've always been with me i the same love and compassion and everything that I just showed your brother I've always had it for you. It's always been there, um but understand that you know. Your brother, he, he was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. Why the heck wouldn't we throw a big party for him? Like, have you lost your mind? And so point number four, I, it doesn't tell us if, if the son does it, but the father certainly tells him the vision. He tells him everything that, hey, man, the reason that I'm doing everything that I'm doing is right here. It's because it, your brother was lost and now he's found. It's a day to celebrate. I would do the same thing for you. And so when you align yourself with how God thinks, with how the Father thinks, it's a, it's a lot easier to understand w- well, why we're doing it. And sometimes that's kind of what you have to do as a leader. You have to explain to other people, hey, we're going to do this, and this is why we're doing it, okay? We're going to do it this way because, you know, because it's the way it should be. And then you can get people on board, and then they see your vision, and then they jump on board, and, and maybe they're pulling all people on the boat, and, and now you've got a, a real thing going. But it doesn't happen unless you kind of unveil the vision. A lot of leaders just kind of be like, well, just trust me. Just trust me. I, I, I know what I'm doing. It's, it's hard to follow when you don't understand the why. And so here, Jesus telling this parable does an amazing job of the father telling the son, Hey, here's the why to why we're doing it and um and it's so um it's so good, you know so you have um these these kind of these steps throughout this story of you know this son stepping outside trying to be his own leader, then kind of coming to his senses realizing, okay, you know. That's, that's not what I should be doing. I should be following my father, following his footsteps and, and doing what he has for me. Submitting myself to his plan and, and, and what that looks like. And then understanding the plan. Understanding the why and the how and all those sorts of things and that whatever he's providing for me is for my good. It's not for my detriment. It's for, it's for positive. And so even when those tough things come it's for good. He's going to figure out a way to use it for good. And that's the uh, the incredible thing. And so, um, you know, the, the last thing I, I've, I've been reading this book, and um, I just finished it this month. It's by Louis Giglio, uh, an East Coast pastor. And, uh, you know, I was reading the last chapter, and it really has nothing to do with leadership. It... Uh, but the last chapter, he's talking about how you um, kind of not control your mind, but set up your mind to think God's thoughts or to, to align yourself with God. And the title of the book is Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. So you're trying to prevent Satan from kind of creeping into your thoughts or creeping into to how you think. Um, and so he's got seven points in, uh, in his final chapter. I don't know if any of you do this, but football and baseball cards make great bookmarks. Okay, That's probably the most value they have for me nowadays. Um, This is Andre Waters, Philadelphia Eagles. Good one. But uh, I'm not going to roll with all seven points here. I just want to read number one, and really just part of number one. And so uh, point number one in his seven uh, steps here is I am in God's story. And the piece that really stood out to me um, was his final sentence here. And he said, Your life will have the greatest significance when you choose to make it about the one who welcomes you into his never ending story. A lot of the times, I can say in my life, I take out the in in, point, in his point and I just say, I am God's story. Instead of, I am in God's story. right? I think about, like, yeah, God's doing all this stuff in my life, and then I'm reaching people, and I am doing this, and I am doing that, and all these sorts of things. And that's where my leadership takes over when it shouldn't, because I think I am the story. But the reality is, my life will have the greatest significance when you choose to make it about the one who welcomes you into his never-ending story. And so I want to uh, reflect on that for a minute. And I'm going to uh, invite the worship team up now. And, but how often are, are, are we saying, I am the story? I think I'm the character of the story. You look at this book here. Moses is not the main character. David is not the main character. Peter, all those people, they're not the main character. But too often, we try to make ourselves the main character of the story when it's not. The main character is Christ. The main character is our Heavenly Father. And it's time that we start to align with that and understand that and follow that. And then we'll probably have some pretty good leaders. It's an election year, right, coming up in 2024. I'd love to have some leaders who are following Christ. And that's the best leaders that I have found. Let's pray, and then I'll give them the stage. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this day. Thank you for everything that you've provided for us and all that you continue to do. I pray that you would uh, be with everybody, keep them safe. um, As we got our first little taste of of wintry weather here, keep us safe uh, throughout the rest of of the winter and certainly going into 2024. Uh, We love you, and we praise you for everything that you do. Amen.